Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 700. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. On today's show, we're going to talk about metals and stocks on fire because They were on fire today. This was the best day for the Dow stocks since 1933. It was also the heaviest volume ever, and the Dow was up 11.3% for the day. It was the largest absolute point gain for the Dow, 2,112 points to the upside. Not only that, but the miners even outshined the Dow. The mining ETFs, GDX and GDXJ, outperformed the 11.3% performance on the Dow. They were up 14.68% and 18.69% on the day. And they've had a couple of other similar performance days like that. So the miners are absolutely on fire. Stocks are beginning to get on fire. And it's interesting that the miners are actually outperforming stocks. I'll touch on why that is in just a minute. Part of what has sent the stock market sharply higher was short covering, meaning there were more people that had bet that the market would go down and those people had to cover their shorts or buy in at the market price to close out their short position and stop their bet that the market would decline so they could stop their losses. Because when the market reverses direction and starts going up and you're betting that it's going down, you have unlimited losses because as long as the market continues on the upside, you're losing money if you're a short seller. So those shorts are very desperate to get back into the market, buy in at any price, and close out the position so that they no longer have any risk and they no longer have that bet that the market's going lower. We had seen the fastest decline in history over a period of time, 22% in 32 days. One of the things that I think really helped reverse the market today was not only the rumor that perhaps Congress was coming out with a $2 trillion relief package, which didn't get approved during market hours, but might get approved later tonight or tomorrow, or maybe later this week. But also, the president was on television and had really changed his tune from closing down the economy to talking about when the economy was going to reopen. This was a definite signal and change in his tone because he even gave us a date. He said he'd like to reopen the economy by 4-12, which is Easter. As I've been reporting to you, we've been in a 15-day countdown. And during that 15-day period, the idea was to 
take the possible steep curve of many people getting infected and create a flatter line where fewer people were getting infected with coronavirus by social distancing and all of the things that we know that we're doing, which by the way, I hope you're doing well and handling that okay. If you've been negatively impacted by this economy, I just want to give you some hope in this podcast that we are seeing a light at the end of the tunnel and no, it's not a train coming at us. We are seeing some good news and an end to this chasm that I've been talking about. So hang in there and just focus on getting to the other side of this because this too shall pass. So it was almost shocking to hear the president give us a date about when he was considering reopening the economy because we'd been really focused on that 15-day countdown. And by the way, I think that ends around March 30th or April 1st. So we're in the final week of that 15-day countdown. And from there, he hadn't promised to open the economy, but he had promised to give us a time indication of how many more days we would be in a shutdown economy. And today was the first day he came right out with a date. I was pretty surprised by it, and I was listening to a lot of the broadcasts on television and interviews and things, and he was very clear that we have to reopen the economy. To me, it was really the first time that I had heard a date put on this that sounded like there was some finiteness given to the process we are all experiencing right now, and not just here in the United States, but globally. And so I think that gave the markets hope that there was a finiteness to this. And as I've said before, I think what is going to happen with a lot of the professional money managers is they're just going to have to let this go. They're going to have to allow bad news to come out for a couple of quarters and look beyond that. They're going to be looking out three to six months and say, Who's going to snap back the fastest? Who's going to come out positively from this? Who's going to have good earnings where we can put a number to it and estimate where their stock price should be? Because in the end, that's what the financial analysts are doing. They're analyzing earnings and they put a multiple to the market around 17 times earnings. And then that comes up with a stock price. And then they have a target for where they think a stock's price will go. And it helps them understand what companies they want to own and where the stock target should be. So they're doing mathematical calculations. And meanwhile, when the whole world shut down, that shut down all the math because there was a big zero in a lot of companies. So how can you calculate what a company is worth when on a particular day, it might not have any revenue, but a month ago, it had millions of dollars of revenue. And maybe three months from now, it will have millions of dollars of revenue again. So you see, the problem has been a short-term valuation problem. And that's why we had so much volatility. We were swinging back and forth, one extreme, the other. As this kept getting worse, the stock market kept adjusting downward for each new set of bad news that we had. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard me explain there were four distinct phases that brought down the market. And that's also in a blog post on my website at lindapjones.com if you want to read that article. But now we're getting to the point where we can see the end of the chasm. We're getting almost 
close to a finite time and a definite date that this is going to end. And suddenly money managers are starting to perk up and think, well, maybe things won't be as bad as they thought. Maybe this won't be a horrible recession. Maybe we have had strong sales all through this time because guess what? The consumer makes up 70% of the success of this economy. And I've seen the consumer spending quite a bit. And Secretary Mnuchin told us that on supplies and medicine and food, the consumer made up for almost everything that was lost in the travel industry going under. It made up for the lost cruises and airline and hotel sales. Now, on top of that, we've had an awful lot of small businesses that had to shut down. Things like restaurants that, of course, are impacted everywhere. But if the economy opens back up and things can get back to normal as quickly as possible, and you're going to have some loans that turn into grants so they don't even have to be paid back, and you're getting the consumers some cash in hand, a family of four, possibly $3,000, individuals, possibly $1,000. Now you're talking about some real stimulus that could help us get beyond where we were, not just back where we were, but beyond where we were. And on top of that, companies are hiring hundreds of thousands of additional employees. Companies like Amazon, CVS drugstores, Walmart have huge, huge hiring plans in place. So yes, while this was devastating for many businesses, I'm hoping that they'll be able to snap back quickly. I'm hoping that they'll be able to pick up wherever they are and get back in the game and do better than ever. What I don't see is the doom and gloom. I don't see this turning into a depression at all. I don't see all the negativity that people have been talking about out there. I see the consumer being healthy, wanting to get back into their normal lives. I see a lot of technology workers who were able to work from home very easily and keep their businesses going. I see people with demand to eat out in restaurants and be healthy and celebrate with friends and family again and start traveling again. I see that once we are clear of the dangers of infection and we're through having an increase of cases every day, once we're through to the other side, and we're not quite there yet, I understand that, but once we get through to that other side, I think this is going to be behind us like a bad house guest. They were very difficult to deal with while they were living with you, and after they left, you went on with your life and got back to normal. So I wanna delve a little bit deeper into what's going on with metals. I did that special podcast about silver, gold, GDX and GDXJ, and we're seeing confirmation that in fact, the paper value of gold and silver is decoupling from the physical value of gold and silver. In fact, it's getting harder and harder to get physical gold and silver. And Dealers have $8 and $10 premiums over the spot price of silver. In addition to that, some of the mines that mine gold and silver have shut down because of the coronavirus. So now you can't even get the physical from the mines. That delay in being able to get physical metal means the price is likely to go even higher. 
It's easy to manipulate the price on a computer or a futures contract, but if there's no physical metal around to actually deliver, what I'm saying is the longer and longer that gets delayed, the higher the price is likely to go. And there may come a day when silver skyrockets because it is at an all-time low in terms of its relationship to gold. As I said on that other podcast, 140 to 1 is an all-time record. And last time it was at a stretched valuation, it marked the bottom for silver. When silver and gold get back into their historic relationship, it's possible we could see silver at something near a price closer to $50 an ounce, not $15 an ounce. Besides the decoupling of the price of physical and contract prices of the metals, there's something else that's driving this demand for metals too. And that is what the Fed just did. The Fed just agreed to buy bond ETFs or corporate debt. They essentially are stepping into backstop pretty much the entire financial system. They're backstopping mortgages, they're backstopping student loans, corporate bonds, and this is what's known as helicopter money. It's very bullish for precious metals, which means they are likely to go up. It's very bullish for mining stocks, in our case, GDX and GDXJ. And ultimately, it's an inflationary policy. So many institutional investors recognize this and precious metals will be their investment of choice. So the flight to precious metals may be astounding. When you go to Wikipedia and look up helicopter money, it says this. The phrase helicopter money was first coined by Milton Friedman in 1969 when he wrote a parable of dropping money from a helicopter to illustrate the effects of monetary expansion. The concept was revived by economists as a monetary policy proposal in the early 2000s following Japan's lost decade. In November 2002, Ben Bernanke, then Federal Reserve Board Governor and later Chairman, suggested that helicopter money could always be used to prevent deflation. Helicopter money is essentially what we saw the Federal Reserve do this week. They basically came out and said, we will be the backstop for everything. And by doing that, that's a very inflationary signal. They're trying to reignite inflation because we're having deflation. So they're trying to counteract that by doing inflationary activities. That's what I mean when I say institutional investors recognize this. And so they're going to invest in something that's going to benefit from that increased inflation that's going to occur someday. So the craziness continues. We have a very unusual situation of 1.3 billion people in the world being locked down and quarantined. We have over 100 countries that have some form of the coronavirus. But what we know is we're going to come through this. This is not going to last forever. This is going to be something that we will get beyond and we will get back to our normal lives. I think it's quite possible we have a substantial relief rally in our future. I think it's quite possible we have a substantial relief rally in the near future, possibly starting next week. 
possibly starting at the end of April. If the president is able to give us a definite date he's opening the economy and announces that perhaps on the 30th of April, I believe you'll see the stock market take off. Now that might not sound really appetizing to you because here's what I know. When you absolutely feel like you don't wanna buy stocks because you're scared to death and feel certain that the market's gonna decline because the bear market isn't over, That's usually when stocks will turn up and go on to make new highs. So if you're feeling unenthusiastic about buying new stocks, I totally understand. And that's a normal feeling. But don't let that stop you from participating in what I think is going to be a phenomenal rebound in the stock market. I think it's very possible this year we get back to the highs where we were. And in fact, I was reading about another similar type of pandemic sell-off where the market had declined by 20% at the beginning of the year and by July was back to where it had been before. Now, I can't promise you that. I can't promise that that's the same path that will follow with this pandemic, but I can say I'm very confident that once the U.S. market is reopened, people will go back to work, will be motivated more than ever, as entrepreneurs and as executives and professionals and whatever your role is, that you will be back at it with a gusto and will have $2 trillion that has been put into the economy that will act as a stimulus, plus all the trade agreements that kick in starting in May with China, Japan, India, Mexico, Canada, and near zero interest rates and also low oil prices. This is completely set up to really make the economy boom. So I am not doom and gloom. I am not depressed. I am not thinking anything negative whatsoever. I am thinking beyond the chasm. Forget the next couple of months. We don't care what earnings are going to be. It wasn't the fault of the company. If companies can get back on track quickly, get their earnings back, their sales back, their customers back, we are going to see one heck of a fast recovery. It's going to be breathtaking. Hopefully by listening to my podcast, you've stayed invested through this. And you know that the long-term track record of 10% of the stock market has these kinds of declines in them. They're scary and nobody likes them. They don't feel good. But one thing I know is holding through them is the right answer. If you had been out of the market just today, you would have missed an 11% gain just today. That's why you can't afford to be out even one day. It really diminishes your return if you try and time this market. So stay invested. If you have some cash, consider layering in and dollar cost averaging over time. I think the thing to do is to focus on quality and to upgrade your portfolio if you have too many small companies buy some large companies. The S&P 500 is on sale and is still selling at a great discount. If you have all large caps, maybe consider adding some small caps in there. You really wanna think about your asset allocation. That is the thing to focus on right now. How are you allocated? Do you have too much of one, too little of another? How are you allocated? 
You want to cover all the bases. You want to have those large companies, medium companies, small companies, international, emerging markets, perhaps real estate, and some of your favorite sectors like the precious metals. So really look at your asset allocation and think about what are you too heavy in? What are you too light in? And think quality, quality, quality. If you haven't yet subscribed to Be Wealthy and Smart, hit the subscribe button and you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. If you're looking for a financial book to really get yourself motivated, check out your Already a Wealth Heiress, Now Think and Act Like One, Six Practical Steps to Make It a Reality Now. It was named one of the all-time best wealth books by Book Authority. That's all for today. Until next time, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.